0: up everybody welcome to draft chat this is episode number 106 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual ben fisher what's up dude
1: well uh we have a bit of a change going on i'm actually sitting in a chair right next to you
0: yes
1: (laughs) which is uh not not normal usually we're on the phone but uh we are are both in chairs and i can see you but just not over the internet kind of weird
0: yeah this is the first time we've done this second time we've done this. oh my god have
1: we ever done this before
0: i don't think we have we we talked about it once, and then it didn't happen.
1: I just kind of asked on a whim. I was like, why don't you just come over? <laughs> like, we're both yeah. here. I hope that hopefully the listener will excuse our uh, maybe a little rough audio quality. We're using a backup mic, but uh, we're, we're both in town for our, our friend's wedding, and uh, it means we get to talk magic in person.
0: Yes, we do. Well, we've got our usual episode to kind of round out the format of Streets of Penna. And you may be wondering, why are you doing that now? Because the format's not over for like... It's dead. <laughs> that, that's basically Nukapena why.
1: is dead. It has been for a few weeks now. And honestly, we're not getting another standard set until what, like two months from now? Yeah. So I don't feel like talking about Penna for two months. We have plenty of good stuff in, in mind, um, some of which we're going to be talking about at the end of this episode. But let's kind of shoo Penna out the door.
0: Before we do that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in it, check out the Discord. It's the best place to go to communicate with us on a regular basis and just hang out with the rest of the Traficionados. There's been some really cool conversations going on in there that aren't even Magic-related, so it's been really great to just see everybody kind of, uh, you know, make some friends and uh, get to know each other. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We wouldn't be doing this without you, so thank you so much for your support
1: patrons you're the best if we could we would have you come and sit here with us you know
0: yeah that would be interesting
1: yeah we should do a we should do a live recording at some point With just i don't know maybe if we do go to the vegas thing we could, we could do a recording in one of the convention centers or like the hotel bar and have people yeah, just come up and say hi
0: yeah that'd be sick all right on to our crack draft type thing
1: we've got one last one from streets in nukapana here uh we, we intentionally picked the pack without inspiring overseer because you know i think we just wanted to nix that whole whole thing uh first off we've got psionic snoop next <laughs> we've got cutthroat contender next we've got snooping newsy this is one that i think i'll, I'll be honest i hated this card me like, too. just at, at when i first saw it i died to it more times than i'd want to admit turns out a two mana three three lifelink is pretty good and getting five card types was something you could do by, like, turn four to five uh, pretty often.
0: Yeah, it was a lot easier to do than we first gave it credit for.
1: Next, Dig Up the Body. Uh,
0: I feel like people always use
1: this against me. Like, I would try to, like, remove one of their things, and they would sacrifice that thing, get it and something else back. Which is a, a tempo loss, but in a deck that was suited to, to go into the late game. I mean, it's solid. Yeah. Case the Joint. Uh bad (laughs) i mean just compare this to behold the multiverse like this is just abysmal in comparison four mana just draw two and it's not even to the scry you get to look at the top card of each player's library which is functionally nothing yeah you just kind of wasted ink on the card there (laughs) uh midnight assassin eh. one two flying death touch this could be good in some formats but um no. <laughs> <laughs> Revelation of Power. This is probably the, the best card out of the pack so far. It's definitely the one I would take. That's the one in the white target creature gets plus two, plus two. And then if it has a counter on it, it becomes a little Baneslayer Angel for a turn, Gains Flying and Lifelink. Giving your Illuminator Virtuoso Flying, Lifelink, and then Double Strike too uh, was always a fun time. But honestly, just jumping a creature, uh, the, the ability for a combat trick to also be kind of win-con in the right situation. The white decks were really good at beating down, uh, and they had a lot of evasion, and this just Fit right into that.
0: Yeah, it also just goes into like a handful of decks. You don't really need to be in a super aggressive deck for this card to be playable.
1: Yeah, just, just two mana for a two two and flying. Like that's that's just good as it is. Glittermonger is up next. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, I, I once lost to a black green glittermonger death. Did, did I tell you about this one? I don't think so. So my opponent, I saw at least four copies of glittermonger. Wow. Um, which turns out kind of hard to attack into. I think I was playing like green white, pretty tough for for two twos and three threes to get through a one four. Uh, you got to spend stuff like revelation of power, and you'd rather not. Uh, and then they they double lock pretty effectively too. But what they did was they were playing black green. They had like a million glitter mongers, and then they just had all the family fixers. Like they had the the big. Um, The big Obscura Angel one. They had the Grixis, the Maestro's Vampire one. And they just had no lands to cast them. They, They weren't playing any plains or any mountains. They were just straight up black green. But they were making so much treasure from Glittermonger that they just were able to pretty much play them for free.
0: That's really cool. I like that idea. And that is like, you know, a reasonable point about not being able to attack. For toughness in this format is really good.
1: Yeah, it's big. I think, unless you're that specific <laughs> opponent who's on just galaxy brain levels of, of Nuka Penna, I, I don't think this is really where you want to be. Next up, another pretty playable card, Security Bypass. I like one copy of this in the blue white deck. Um, just giving your thing evasion, again, on Illuminator Virtuoso, just absolutely nuts. Uh, and then getting to Kanai was pretty good too. I will say, I often. I, I may have killed a creature or two by accident with this it does say as long as enchanted creature is attacking alone It can't be blocked and pretty often I would attack with one thing for a turn attack with one thing for a turn Attack with one thing for a turn and then go all right now I swing with the board and they block that thing and I'm like, it's unblockable. What are they doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one of the situations where playing online is very helpful because in in person that would have taken me like Ages to actually realize. like I would have had mm. talked through my opponent like forever yeah. And be like, no, you're wrong. And then finally read the card. But online, you're like, well, actually, with Arena, I tend to kind of assume that there are a lot of bugs. But, <laughs> you know, most of the time it's like, well, I'm, ge- I'm doing something wrong because the game's letting them do this. Yeah. So it's clearly a legal thing they can do.
1: I actually had a, a loop that um, I was stuck in. I was trying to download an Arena update like two or three days ago. And uh, it kept coming up saying, like, asset error relaunch and I'd pull it back up, it would say asset error relaunch. I, I did it a few more times uh, to just double check my understanding of insanity, made sure I <laughs> still knew what was going on. And then I, 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 I launched the installer, updated, did the whole thing over, nothing changed. So I looked it up online. Turns out you have to change the language. Like the, the, the fix for this is you like update the language setting and then you're supposed to set it to like French and then put it back to English and then it works. I don't. Know. I, I didn't even try yet. I, I was like, "All right, I'm not playing Arena for a few days anyway." Wow. Next up, let's get ready to rumble. No, no, no this card sucks. <laughs> not, not taking this. Do like five or like destroy an artifact? I think. Nah. I, I didn't see this played ever.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a cast.
1: Same with uh, an offer you can't refuse. I like this card conceptually. Uh, it got people talking when it, first, when it was first spoiled. Counter target non-creature spell. It's controller creates two treasure tokens, and that's just one blue. Maybe this will see older format play. It reminds me of Swan Song, which is a card that I didn't understand for a really long time uh, until I learned that actually countering a thing for one mana can be really good. It doesn't matter if you give them a little benefit. I think this is worse than Swallon's Song. Treasures are way more useful than a a 2-2 flyer on turn like 1. But uh, I don't know. That definitely wasn't seeing play in this format. Next up, Knockout Blow. Probably the best card in the pack so far. Costs 2 less if it's hitting a red creature. Deal 4, gain 2 to an attacking or blocking creature. Just good removal. Boring, but
0: yeah it's gonna slow your opponent's aggressive plan down like it stops the attack damage from getting through and then you're also gaining a few life which as we've talked about in the last handful of sets has been pretty relevant just getting that tacked onto a couple of other effects that are doing something you want them to do anyway
1: yeah formats recently have been pretty aggressive and you sometimes wind up in these races this is a good rate and gaining two helps in a race so nimble larcenist is up next that was the uh the obscura 2-1 flyer that was just like strictly worse than uh Inspiring Overseer. Yeah. So I mean, why risk getting one of your opponent's things and maybe missing when you could just draw yourself a card?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You you wouldn't. Also, this is in three color, that one is in one. That's yeah. I don't know how the this <laughs> is what it is.
1: It's a lot like Inspiring Overseer, except um very difficult to cast and sometimes misses. I've missed on this card.
0: Yeah, when it works, it's pretty. It's pretty great. And just being a two-one flyer is not something to you know turn away from. But it's it's outclassed by a lot of the other option format.
1: When well, we come to our rare Devilish Valet, uh, that's the tune red for one-three trample haste and has alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield, double its power until end of turn. I had this in my in my pre-release pool, if you remember, uh, and I had Rabble Rousing too. And I did get to do the combo once. Um, Besides that, this was so unimpressive. It takes work for this to be a 4-3. Also, why does it have haste? Like, are are you really playing a... like You're you're never playing another creature on turn three along with this, unless you have an Ornithopter in your deck or something. And and even then, it's just a 2-3. Yeah,
0: I think the idea there is, like, don't play this on three. Wait until you can get, like, one or two other creatures down on the same turn so that you can attack... The turn you attack with it, it's, you know, a 4-3 or whatever. Yeah but that requires so much setup for something that is maybe getting in for 4 damage. Once. If
1: I could uh <laughs> yeah, if I could edit this card, I would remove haste and give it 2 power to start. So then like yeah. one creature would make it 4 and then two creatures make it 8. Like that's balanced, right? Doesn't that doesn't that, doesn't that feel better? I mean, if then if you get 3 creatures, it becomes a 16 3 and that's obviously really good, but it's a rare. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. I mean, and right now it's just not
0: yeah that's true i think that probably would be enough uh to make it i I think that would be good enough without making it too good
1: yeah so uh what's the pick the
0: knockout blow i guess yeah i'm also tempted to take the nimble arsonist just because flyers in this format are so good and it's in two colors that you want to be in anyway
1: that's true yeah
0: i don't think it's actually costing you in this pack i don't think it's costing you very much to just take it on a whim and hope that it's no this playable. is
1: this is functionally a non-pick like the yeah the, the person to your right opened inspiring overseer or reservoir kraken or something and uh you opened an unplayable red rare and nothing else <laughs> so yeah. well that's a, a little bit of a, a sneak peek as to our parting thoughts on streets of new capanna but before we do we're going to do roses and thorns that's our teferi Tibble type of a uh, type of section so zach why don't you get started <laughs>
0: <laughs> well done, Ben.
1: Well done. <laughs> That's why I let you read these things.
0: Uh, right. So my teferi this week is well. I'm in town, and in town is back where I grew up for a wedding. A friend of a mutual friend of Ben and I is uh, getting married this weekend, and so we're in town for the wedding. My title this week is birds. <laughs> <laughs> birds,
1: huh? Did you just like pack one, pick one, a bird, nimble, larcenist
0: Yeah. Well, some the the long term listener will know that I'm I'm a big fan of birds. However, yeah um i intentionally left this tibble vague on our show notes very so Ben vague. didn't know what i was gonna say but i recently got a car like a few months ago i got a car and i have to park it on the street in the city and every single time i go out to look at the car it's covered in more bird poop. <laughs> every time like i'll clean it oh, the next those birds. like hours later more bird poop. and so uh it's it's been a problem
1: i don't know what you're feeding those uh those city pigeons but you know They'll do it. My Teferi, also wedding. It's going to be cool to see a bunch of people from from hometown and uh, celebrate with our friends, who we've both known since like kindergarten, probably. Oh, yeah. Something like that. I guess it's also a uh, a Teferi that I'm on summer break now. School year has ended. I am free. Uh, I've had a lot of free time to work on stuff. I have a bit of work to do. Uh, I'm doing some work for the school with curriculum work over the summer, so teachers, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, mostly, I'm just going to be hanging out. Uh, My tibble is that I am preparing to move in about a month, and uh, there's any number of rough things that go along with that. Hiring a moving company, right now I'm trying to work it out with my apartment complex, the new one that they're going to let me move in a few days early, but then they were complaining they have to update the lease, even though they said they wouldn't have to at first. It's a a whole big thing, but uh, that'll all be over with soon.
0: All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week is a... Last minute question from our uh, mailbag episode. If you haven't listened to the mailbag, go check that out. Episode 104. It was a lot of fun. Very fun. Uh, But this week, our question is from Jaren. And the question is popcorn. Great cinema snack or a breach of cinema etiquette?
1: (sighs) Oh, man. So you, you ever get up from a movie and like the lights come on and you just see that the ground is fully covered in popcorn? Yep. I, I feel bad in those cases. Also, it's kind of embarrassing that people like didn't clean it up or just didn't eat it. Also, how does that happen? Unless you actively spill it, are you just like shoveling it into your mouth and it's just you know going everywhere like a toddler? I think it's acceptable, uh, especially given the the volume of most films these days. If you're going to see like. I don't know, not that he's put out anything out recently, but if you go to see like a David Lynch film or like a, um, like a Charlie Kaufman or something and you're like loudly crunching popcorn, that's not the vibe, you know? Like that's not the, that's not the energy of, of what's going on. I think you have to match the energy of the, of the movie you're seeing. If you're like going to see the, a new Transformers movie or a new Marvel movie or something like that, you know the popcorn you want, I don't care. That's part of the experience. Like people should be cheering and like same with like a Star Wars movie too. Uh, but if you're going to see like some A24 art house type thing, maybe I don't know, but maybe then like if you're like loudly crunching over like an emotional moment, I think you got to know that your audience.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good uh, good way to think about it. I, I've got a few follow up questions, but before I ask those, I tend to think it's fine. But I, I think I agree with you. Kind of matching the snack to the film genre is a good way to go. In a super high high tense like i'm thinking i don't know if you remember the film tree of life we watched in like yeah 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 or something one of my favorite films it's really good but there's like no dialogue and it's (laughs) very um it's very like open to interpretation and and that kind of thing and i think popcorn would totally ruin that movie yeah but that's got me thinking about like what the optimal snack for different genres is uh Hmm. are you like how do you feel about like the, the movie theaters that do like dinner in the theater kind of thing
1: i think i've only ever done that once And it was kind of like a drive-in where it wasn't very serious anyway. I've never had like a theater experience where I sat down and like got dinner there. Although I want to go to Alamo Drafthouse. I've heard that's like the ideal place for this. I know there's a few in New York City, I think. I've been meaning to go there for a while. They're notoriously strict with like uh, movie etiquette, which... I'm like, I probably err on that side. I'd rather not have people talking. Like, if you want to talk during the movie, just, like, watch it at home, I guess. Unless it's, like, one where, like, you're actively supposed to. I went and saw a showing of The Room at at a certain theater where it is encouraged. It's, like, part of the experience to be, like, booing during the movie and, like, Basically, there's people like doing stand-up in the theater over the movie like that. That's part of the experience. Uh, people are like throwing spoons at the at the. it's a whole like cultural thing. And that's all that's all fun. If you did that, like I, I had someone come in. Well, I was watching everything everywhere all at once with a friend. And it was during the emotional crux of the movie, the, the rock scene, if anyone knows it. And some people came into the theater at that moment. And they had clearly been there to see something else. And they were clearly in the wrong room because they were like loudly talking. They must have thought they were walking into the previews. They were like yelling at each other, like setting the like spilling popcorn, like making jokes to each other during this like incredible emotional moment. Uh, And the entire theater turned on them like you people need to get out of here right now. That was that was a, a a breach of cinema etiquette. More to do with their their energy than the snacks.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, there definitely is an etiquette. I don't know that popcorn in and of itself is a default breach of that etiquette, but there is some, there are things you should not do in a movie theater. Yeah, and there are things that are like okay. There was one movie I went to see. I think it was one of the more recent, which is not actually recent anymore, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm. And I went in with a friend into a theater in uh, in our hometown, and it was my friend and I. And this other kid from school that we knew and his friend, we were the only, the four of us were the only people in the theater Hmm. and we were friendly with the other guy. And like the whole time we're like tossing popcorn at him, (laughs) but it's a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So it's not like like... super emotional. Like you need to be paying attention every second. And it was just the four of us. So there are times where you can mess around in a theater and it's okay. I do have one more follow-up question before we get on with uh, the rest of the show here. And that is... For you personal, what is your optimal movie-watching snack in a theater Ooh. or at home, if they're different or the same?
1: I do like popcorn. Uh, I've, I've heard rumors of, of madmen out there that uh, like mix in chocolate with the popcorn. That I, I've never done. I feel like all the chocolate would sink to the bottom anyway. Uh, at home, I'm a big fan of popcorn eaten with chopsticks because that way you don't get your fingers greasy, you know?
0: Okay, sure. Like how, you That blanket, would, be, that would gonna... be the optimal utensil to use it is
1: it is it's perfect it's really the only utensil for popcorn I mean,
0: you can you use a spoon but that's kind of that's kind of so,
1: like then you're eating like cereal the no, chopsticks it's it's refined but uh i, I think in the theater I, I don't usually get popcorn i usually go for something chocolate usually something like uh like m&ms or snow caps uh tend to be my, my go-to although i will say i never bring a drink yeah uh, because either. my my like i I have a pet peeve of having to use the bathroom during a movie, and I will intentionally dehydrate myself (laughs) before going to a movie (laughs) because I hate feeling like I have to get up and go to the bathroom because I refuse to miss part of the movie.
0: Yeah, but then even if you're, like, holding it in, you're focused on that. Exactly, exactly.
1: So, like, I, I always run to the bathroom right before a movie starts, and then I refuse to drink anything until... I'll start like rehydrating myself with like 10 minutes left in the movie. (laughs) Like I'll bring a water bottle and then only open it in the the last tense.
0: Yeah. So I have a weird thing with snacks and movies. I, and maybe this is like borderline OCD. I'm not sure, but I have a problem if I have a snack that I ha- that I finish before the movie ends. So like Before it ends. Yeah, so like like for instance, if I'm eating popcorn too fast and then I'm done with the popcorn and the movie's still going, I feel like something's wrong.
1: <laughs> you you'd have to like pace yourself so that it lasts the entire length or
0: I need to get more of it. Oh man. Which implies that I would need to get up and walk away, so I, yeah. I tend to just not eat anything during a movie. That probably keeps it simple. Yeah, because and even with like like a chocolate bar or something, like it would need to last me. Th- I need like a bag of chocolate that I can <laughs> eat through the whole movie.
1: Huh. Uh, I actually saw something trending on, on film Twitter that kind of related to this. Um, there was this person that, that got a, a card. I mentioned Alamo Drafthouse earlier, but they take things very seriously. And they give out cards to people that says, like, oh, I can read it. It's right in front of me. No talking or texting. Please respect the movie going experience and refrain from talking and texting. Continue talking and texting will result in, in you being asked to leave without a refund. Enjoy the film. So I like this. You know that there's certainly an appropriate time to give this out. However, this person that went viral on Twitter this week uh, had one given to her while at the new Elvis movie, which is Baz Luhrmann, like uh, I've seen some of his stuff before, but apparently this person was laughing during the movie and they thought that was inappropriate and like an usher or someone give this person a card. And they responded saying, well, I mean, it, it's, it's maximalism. It's an intentional, uh, for humor. So in this case, this was someone who like, and I agree, I think Baz Luhrmann's, like maximalist stuff is hilarious. Like that's, that's kind of the point. It's like very high, uh, absurdist almost with still like a good amount of realism, but like, uh, uh almost like it, it's unbelievably funny, like, it, like literally unbelievably. And that's why it's funny. So I, I'm, I'm probably on this person's side here because it sounds like, Like this was valid laughter. I'd probably be laughing at the same thing, but the Alamo draft house cited as uh, laughing at inappropriate
0: times. So I don't know thoughts on this. I guess my question is like, who's the judge of when is an appropriate time Mm. to laugh at something in a film? That sounds super subjective, (laughs) but I would say you're going to a theater that is notorious for its strictness in terms of how you act. And I would not be terribly offended or surprised if I was going... It's like the one you were talking about where like people are throwing spoons and stuff. Like You were signing up for a specific experience. So I kind of expect you to expect that response.
1: I actually didn't know I was signing up for that experience. And okay. I was hoping to just like get... Because I'd never seen The Room before. It is an absurd movie, but... I was hoping to just like sit down and watch it. And then when people started like laughing and throwing stuff, I was like, what's going on here? But then I understood immediately like, oh, this is how it works.
0: Well, okay. So that, I mean, yeah, if you if you didn't know you signed up for that and this could be the case with this person, it doesn't, the, the tweet that you're referencing doesn't say whether or not they're familiar with the Alamo Drafthouse's general, yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. environment. But uh, yeah, I think it's a little absurd to say like you're laughing at the at the wrong times. Like who are you to tell somebody that something wasn't funny?
1: Exactly. And also Baz Lerman stuff like, and it's, it's an per, Elvis it's pretty film. funny. Yeah, it's pretty like, funny. Like
0: Elvis is absurd.
1: <laughs> we should start a movie podcast. I guess uh, I would love to. I, I recommend Sodonicast. Any anyone out there who likes movies, uh, big fan of those. Guys?
0: But it may surprise you to know this is not a film <laughs> podcast. So let's get on to the SNC or Streets of New Capenna format farewell. If you are new to our format farewell style of episode, we are going to give away Chaffy Awards to a handful of different categories within the format. And we'll wrap up with our final thoughts on the format. And then we're going to go into some fun stuff, which we'll keep a little bit of a secret till mm-hmm. the end of the episode.
1: So chaffies are kind of like Oscars. We're just going to start with the Chaffee for the most powerful card. And well, I mean, it almost gets more difficult because we have data now and we right. never had that before. And I don't want to cheat by just like pulling up and like looking at what the top cards would be and like, all right, Thanks, Serkovitz. <laughs> now we know. Uh, and obviously the rest of the 17 lands crew, y'all are awesome. But I, I would just probably start with Sanctuary Warden, All-Seeing Arbiter, or the Titan of Industry, the three Bant mythics. Because, I mean, first picking any of those, you feel like, okay, <laughs> like I'm I'm going to wind up in some Bant color pair, preferably blue-white. And Sanctuary Warden and All-Seeing Arbiter, I think I'd take above the Titan yeah. Uh, if I ever had the chance to. And I'm probably taking the Warden... I don't know, I, I I think I've only played with the Warden once, but I've played with the Arbiter a few times, and Arbiter is just nuts.
0: Yeah, I'm actually in the same boat. I've played with Warden, I think, once. I've played the Arbiter twice now, and I agree. I think the two of those, you take over Titan, they're both absolutely absurd, partially because they have flying. Like, that yep. keyword is just low-key uh, cheat code in this format. And But their effects are also incredible. It's really difficult to lose the game if you get one of these to resolve. And it does happen. Like, I have lost with an all-seeing Arbiter on the board, but it's rare.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually mythic next chaffee is for the most annoying card this is a tough one i didn't feel like this card or like this set had many what i would call annoying cards i said nightclubber because it was very annoying to see that go on the stack and then you look down at your board and you're like oh well three of my four creatures are x ones so i guess that's the game
0: yeah i i think nightclubber is is a good candidate for this one i agree None of the cards really stood out to me as being all that annoying. This I is actually, a struggle to, to find one, yeah. right? I actually the the first one that came to mind for me was security bypass because mm, yeah. because it's easy to misplay with, and so it's not not necessarily annoying to see my opponent play, but it's just kind of annoying that it's an extra thing to think about. That said, I would kind of expand that into everything that's unblockable. All of the little one one unblockables are really really yeah. annoying. In oh, f-
1: fish tokens, yeah, yeah, most annoying card, f- fish token.
0: Next up is our chaffy for best jank. What you got?
1: Security bypass. I didn't play this card at first because I I used to be huge on Auras. When I first started playing, I loved Blue White Heroic and I was like, wow, Auras are so much fun. I'm just going to play a bunch of Auras. And then I'd like go to Enchant a Creature, the creature would get destroyed and I'd go, that's actually not that fun. I don't like doing this. And I think I swerved all the way to the other side of the spectrum where I was like, you should just never put Auras in your deck. Uh, and recently I've, I've learned that it's like, well, you can put some R's in your deck uh, when they're high impact enough and when it's difficult to get blown out. Uh, security bypass, you can land early, often during like, I don't know, you can play it and turn two or three sometimes, Uh, and then you're getting it down before your opponent has the chance to blow you out entirely. Sure, it still hurts when you get your creature removed, but uh, the value you can get from a security bypass can be huge. I also thought it had a lot of value in breaking board stalls, particularly in Bant Mirrors. Uh, sometimes you would both just have uh, a million spars adjudicators and, and uh, lagrellas and vp flyers that you couldn't attack through just slap security bypass on one of your creatures and then all of a sudden it might win you the game on the spot or start getting you close to winning the game
0: yeah that's true there are a lot of games that i've played that have come down to somebody getting a one one unblockable on the board yeah. and like just attacking for the next 10 turns yep my so i i kind of cheated with this one my candidate for best jank is not actually jank but I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. And that is exotic pets. I thought exotic pets was going to be a really janky card at first when we, when we did like the format breakdown and it turns out it's actually just pretty good. Yeah. Getting those one ones and then being able to like steal counters from things uh, or copy counters from things is uh pretty, pretty awesome. And then like we were just talking about, if you can make one of those uh, fish into like a three, three unblockable, it just like closes out games really quick. And then it forces your opponent to play a real card. To get rid of, yeah, got <laughs> a for token. Free. getting rid of like half a card, right? So that I don't know. I thought it was going to be jank. It turned out to not really be, but that was my candidate here.
1: Yeah, I want to shout out Body Dropper too. Now that I think of it, Body Dropper. Just worked really well in this set. Black Red was one of the other archetypes that could potentially go toe-to-toe with Blue-White and, and sometimes come out on top. <laughs> and if you could do it sometimes, then, you know, you're pretty good. Worked really well with Blitz. And if you could ever use the turn-against effect, the, it was an uncommon in the set. Uh, but when you did get to get that off, like stealing one of your opponent's things, sacking the Body Dropper, it was, it was a brutal blow. Next up, the Chaffy for the Chaffiest Chaff. What's your Chaff?
0: Yeah, this one was tough for me basically anything that's not banned or uh, <laughs> or brokers like i don't know there's so many cards in this format that just weren't good The when we couldn't... opened
1: just now the uh the valet
0: right yeah yeah like there are so many that that just didn't really do anything in the context of the format and so yeah my answer was anything that's not the, not in brokers colors but I have
1: some specifics. I've got Evolving Door, the uh, the three mana, like it, it looks like a pod, but it's not even close. Cemetery Tampering, the black uh, tampering that mills yourself for a bunch, then it hideaway. Widespread Thieving, the red one um, that was like multicolored stuff. Hmm, I'm noticing a trend. These are all jund rares, aren't they? <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so as I said,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty much all this the, the the bulk jund rares that should have been balanced or limited, but were just not good and instead like for, for every evolving door in green there was like uh i don't know like a rabble rousing in white or um the kraken in blue like you know the, these are all gonna wind up in the bulk bin but the jund ones just weren't playable and the blue white ones were and uh, that just complemented the suite of commons that blue white and green got that were obviously far and beyond anything that, that red black were getting
0: so next up we have the chaffee for most unexpected chaff and this was a unanimous bootlegger stash <laughs>
1: Man, I wanted this to be so good. Me too. And this could have been amazing. I I played it. I tried playing it a few times. Never got it to do anything. And like knowing that there are things within the set that can make it work. Like there's um stimulus package, which would let you functionally tap your land to make a one one. Right. Or the other the, there was the rare uh, that let you sack your treasures to excel the top card of your library. Like again, tapping a land to and make it. But, but even when I got to play this, I realized that it didn't play out quite as good as I thought it would. Uh, I got to like, play it, yeah. But then you're still drawing cards. Like, let's say you play bootlegger's Stash, and you have six lands in play. You untap the next turn, and you tap, like, a four-drop, right? And then you play your four-drop. Uh, then you can tap your two lands to make two treasures. So then at that point, it's been a turn. You spent six mana, really eight mana, and made yeah. two treasures. I'm like, what? What's... <laughs> what's what's good in that right like what's the point
0: yeah i think there just wasn't enough like janky stuff to be looping with this like if you somehow could make get functionally like infinite mana off of it and then you had a bunch of random nonsense you could do with yeah. all that mana it probably would have been good but it's also the stash itself is just really expensive so by the time you've got that set up you probably have a ton of mana already available mm-hmm. to you so you've already cast the like you'd rather just cast your sanctuary warden than the bootlegger stash so when when you'd rather just hard cast the biggest thing you can be doing do you really need to be generating more mana
1: yeah like what it looks like it does like on on the paper card it actually takes like three turns to do because you're still drawing stuff like by the time I almost feel like it should untap all your lands when it comes into play. Like I feel like that 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 might have made it actually good because then you get to float all them immediately, and make six more treasures, or get to do all of it again. Because like by the time you actually make six treasures off of this, it's been like three,
0: four turns. Because you're still you still have other cards in your hand. Maybe you're still drawing cards. I'm curious. I have a way that maybe fixes this, but it also might just make it too powerful. I kind of wanted to see this be something closer to Mana Flare, where like when you tapped a land for mana, you, you got a treasure. treasure.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like that's what it feels like it should do. I think I think we maybe all freaked out about this one for nothing. Yeah, has it? like broken any commander stuff that's what everyone was thinking about it right i, I think it, it has some infinites right like time sieve it goes infinite with but i mean besides that like come on it's time sieve everything uh, old gnawbone goes infinite with time sieve like come on
0: yeah i think that was it i think the commander minds and everybody were thinking like oh this thing's gonna be so bonkers and like you said you kind of have to take a turn or two off to make this even net value
1: yeah i and guess it's good in the sack decks like corvold would probably really like this
0: sure Anything that can use, I think that's it. Anything that can use treasures for more than one mana. Or care about things being sacrificed. Right, would would be really happy about this like card. Artifacts hitting the graveyard.
1: Um, look at Disciple of the Vault type deck. I don't know. this this,
0: uh... But it definitely missed the mark in the in the draft one. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: So Tom drafted commons. Um, 17 lands, friends. I don't know what, what was up. I, I was having some problems getting on there. Um, it said I hadn't drafted any cards, which I know I didn't do that many drafts. I, I know I, uh, I can see that I did, I think, like 52 drafts. By this time in a format, I usually have done like close to hundred of a draft format that I really like because I love limited. <laughs> it's, it's what I like to jam. So I've, I barely played any uh, Nuka Pena by comparison. Yeah, it's not coming up with my, with my top drafted commons. In a future episode, once I get that sort of that, I might have to like redownload some things or, or double check my file paths. <laughs> I'll update everyone with what the actual top drafted commons are. If I had to guess... Just like based on raw number crunching, it's probably like Sky Cryer or Rafine's informant or like some white two drop because I took those really highly. Maybe um backup agent, the one that puts a counter on something. If I had to guess, one of those is my top drafted to
0: comment. I would say I'm probably in the same boat. I think back, uh, yeah, the backup agent was probably one that uh, would be high and probably in my top five at least. <laughs> I was joking with Ben before we recorded it. If if this included sealed, it would be Inspired Overseer because he <laughs> just had a million. I opened like seven or eight of them over three seals jeez and then I, i've drafted one or two as well but um yeah i think backup agent is probably up there as one of my top drafted cards next up we've got worst bad card to lose to oh man i have to admit some
1: some pretty bad things here i lost to a broker's initiate once that was the like one mana zero four
0: <laughs> yeah that's pretty with, bad
1: uh, activated ability pay five make it a five five i don't know like that wasn't the reason that i lost they had a big board that's just what killed you yeah like they just happen to i mean what are you supposed to do they swing with a zero four uh with five mana like (laughs) like yeah you and and you're at like six like you i don't know yeah you can take it but then like all they got to do is make a fish or or like remove some of your stuff it's a mana sink right and and sometimes it worked out they only have to activate it once for you to die to it right right and then of course it, it, it um it's really good in the broker's mirror uh, a lot of this thing like think of it rafine's informant or a backup agent all the ones we just talked about besides skycryer that gets over the top but the other ones we were just talking about they all get blanked by this
0: it's true i mean it does get big it's just like do you really want to sink five mana into your creature every turn just to make it a viable creature it's <laughs> yeah. not a good card but yeah i mean it, it can close games
1: yeah uh, i lost to join the maestros once uh, that's like the five mana sorcery with casualty like two or three uh, and makes a four three ogre. My opponent just made a bunch of four three ogres. I don't. Not much more to it. It was embarrassing. Uh, they, they played a. I think it might have been a um, like a corrupt court official, uh, like a little one one or something. And they had like a good body to sack. It couldn't have been that though, because it's casualty three. I think. I don't know. It, it, it was. It was in a deck that was built for it. Uh, I did once lose to it where um, they were playing arcane bombardment. The six drop where whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you like copy one from your from your graveyard. Oh, you know what we have to do with that, right? All right. Uh, anyway, th- they like played a removal spell and then copied, joined the Maestros and it became like a whole thing. Um, yeah, I-, I lost to that.
0: Yeah, honestly, and it may be a function of me not playing as much of the set as I was originally intending to. There weren't, there weren't really any games that I played where I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe I lost to that card. Like pretty much all the games I lost were some variation of Broker's decks because that's what everybody's playing or like yeah. really good Maestros decks. And sure, there are some cards in there that are pretty bad, but like, I think I lost to a Cabredi Initiate once, which kind of sucks. Like that's yeah. pretty bad. But it's a similar <laughs> it's, it's a similar bad. story to the broker's initiate, right? Like yeah. I think I think the broker's initiate takes a little less work to make good than the Cabaretti Initiate. Like Cabaretti yeah. Initiate's pretty bad, but yeah, I don't know. There nothing stood out to me as like a really bad card to lose to in this format. They're all pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, next up, Chaffee for the pet card. Yeah, my pet card in this set was Echo Inspector. Because oh, yeah. it, it fits the whole like Batman kind of thing that i love the detective does. Yeah. thing and uh it's just really good card
1: it's it's amazing that's probably one of my top cards too to be honest i'd, I'd never passed those things and i feel like i got passed them often. Yeah, uh, I think
0: people were low on them early in the format.
1: Yeah, but that, that card was nuts. My pet card was Mysterious Limousine. I'm going to miss playing this card. Not too much because I think we might see it pop up again. And We're still a lot of hinting here, aren't we? <laughs> uh, Mysterious Limo. I love this card. Really fun play pattern. It's a 5-mana O-ring that also can flicker your stuff and also, like I don't know, between that and Lagrella, there was some interesting design space with um, like exiling your own stuff in the set. Cool to see.
0: Next up is Most Disappointing Archetype.
1: Oh, I'm banned. It's too good. Disappointed <laughs> me how good it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think Ready for both of us was the biggest uh, yeah. the biggest disappointment. I know you were really excited for Cabaret. Creature and just...
1: ETVs should have been so cool. Yeah, like
0: that should have been really really easy to make work too what did it like, need because i didn't really draft enough cab ready to, to know oh
1: i tried for a while and there were some good ones brazen upstart is i think that the, that's a three mana four two dies into a creature from your top like four or six or something like that's good and it's a four two vigilance like that's a good body i think it just needed some powerful rares and it needed the common that was on par i mean it's it, sure it got um like inspiring overseer like it could play it um and the best uh the best cab ready decks were one's that had Inspiring Overseers in them. Of course. Um, and you got to play Jewel Thief in, in this one too. But just the, the ETB effects were kind of weak. Um, there's the one uncommon one, the one white white for a 2-1 alliance. The first time is you scry one, and the second time is you draw a card. Um, could that have been a 2-3? I think so. Mm. Like just a few little, I feel it like just needs a few little bumps here and there. Um, and, and could that have cost like two and a white maybe? I don't know. Just Just a little bit weak overall. River Tears was disappointing, too. Um, I would have liked to see some better. Honestly, red-green didn't get the love that it deserves, and it hasn't for a few sets now.
0: Yeah, it was red- a green-black for, like, four or five sets, and then now it's kind of shifting to red-green. It's weird that green hasn't really been where it's supposed to be recent. Green, for a while, a yeah. few years now.
1: Green has been, I mean, recently lamented as like the strongest color in commander i think white has kind of crept up on it now that they've been printing intentionally good white cards
0: well that so that was kind of the opposite problem right because for yeah. a while we had white just like nobody knew what its identity was nobody knew what, what role it was trying to play yeah so they weren't really printing good white archetypes while everything else was being pretty solid and then it shifted to like okay let's intentionally make white good but to to the detriment of green it seems
1: yeah yeah I mean, this isn't the first time. I remember back in BFC, like Oh It, BFZ, that, green it, it was, was a abysmal. meme how, how bad Green
0: was. But like Green hasn't gotten some good stuff. I don't know, just put Lanaware elves in every set. Uh, don't be a coward. Yeah, Green was in BFZ, Green was literally so bad that like even if you were the only drafter at, at the table you who still picked any to green.
1: Next Chaffee, the creature you
0: most want as a pet. Yeah, uh I think the fishes is the easiest answer here. Like, <laughs> we never get to say fish for this.
1: Yeah. But we're both I, fish fans, I think.
0: Yeah, and I had a big fish kick for a little while. I've since gotten rid of all my fish, <laughs> and by gotten rid of, I mean they all died, and oh, then I no. got rid of the tank. But my my answer for this one was goldhound, just because oh, it sounds yeah. like really it sounds like a great idea to have a pet that can generate you cash.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. I went with besides the fishes, of course, because uh, who doesn't want to you know feed their assistant to to their pet every once in a while? Uh, I went with Park Heights Pegasus which is a card I didn't really get to play with very much. You know, I mean, the flavor text, it's someone who's like robbing a bank or something and then just like gracefully dips onto a Pegasus. Like at that point, you deserve it. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's true. Uh, ha-
1: having just a flying horse seems pretty good in a city that's uh, honestly looking not very walkable, to be honest. Looks like the the Kaldaya and, and the Heights are pretty far apart. I recommend... Uh, Check out Ristic Studies' newest video on on just that. Uh, put out a, a fantastic video talking about class in Ucapena and how it mirrors a lot of the, uh, the the development of the U.S. in the Roaring Twenties, and also about how it relates to to mafia type culture. Italy, really, really, really interesting stuff.
0: Next up is cards never cast. This is when we typically rely on Seventeen Lands data for, but we're having trouble getting that for this episode. So, I mean, the short answer is a lot of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, just looking through, I never cast Lord Xander,
0: um, which which is a shame. <laughs> I don't know if I was missing much on that. Yeah, I mean, frankly, when it comes down to rares, you you get into sort of that situation where it's like I haven't played like almost any of these, right? Because you how many how many rares do you ever really get to draft unless you're doing a ton of drafts? And we've already covered that. Like neither of us did as many as we intend as we expected we were going to. And
1: even then, a lot of these were just unplayably bad. Like Obscura Ascendancy, Maestro's Ascendancy, Riveteer's Ascendancy, and cabaretti Ascendancy—three like main rares. I didn't cast a single one of them. Cast Broker's Ascendancy a few times, and obviously to good effect.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of bad rares.
1: Um, cut of the profits. Cut your losses. Is any of my commons done? Uh, never cast a Daring Escape. I will say they, they've done a good job of making commons more playable. We don't get as many, like, total junk ones. Definitely didn't cast Extract the Truth or Case the Joint. Or Jackhammer. Yeah, but I don't think
0: I cast a Jackhammer either.
1: Even some of these other, like, pretty bad ones. Um, like Broken Wings, I'd sideboard in. Fake Your Own Death was a solid trick. I mean, you, even th- these ones that you might think aren't as good, probably not most wanted either, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're all kind of across the board fairly playable. I think if you got your like hundred drafts in, you probably would have played every common.
1: Yeah, at,
0: yeah. and maybe even every uncommon. We usually
1: point. do it across as many drafts as we do in a format that we like. But uh,
0: yeah, this is uh, not not quite that. Which um, is totally us eating our words because we talked about how like if this was just brokers dot set, we would we would be super happy with it. Yeah, I guess we learned a, a bit about ourselves. Turns out even
1: playing a, a fun tempo format, just with only a fun tempo format, it, it gets stale pretty quick. I mean, replayability is a big part of this. And I think this is a side effect of online. Right? For
0: sure. Yeah, I mean, if we were only playing this in FMs, we'd still be playing. Yeah.
1: So uh, here's one for you. We, we, we've done away with our broken glass questions. We, we've moved on to more refined tastes. We would never reference like dumb memes or anything or, or things that were... Trending on Magic Twitter because of uh, certain things that people had said. Anyway, how much Halo would it take to bribe you to never draft this format again?
0: Yeah, when I read this question, the first thing that came to me was that song: "Shots, shots, shots, <laughs> shots, shots."
1: shots, shots. <laughs> yeah,
0: but remember, just, it's
1: it's not to be presented as an alcoholic drink. No, no, it's of merely, not. I'm sorry, a performance-enhancing uh, wizard drug.
0: Half an ounce of said liquid, which is non-alcoholic.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: would be enough for me to never draft this again. I'm not entirely excited, especially when I've got a different format on my mind.
1: Exactly, I I would probably just take like a Halo Martini and then uh, I'd be pretty cool with never having to to play this setting. Now, conversely, how much Halo would it take to get you to play this format again?
0: I also don't think it'd be very much, especially when we're talking about something that like, like Halo in particular, the effects of Halo are supposed to be pretty freaking awesome. So that's true. I don't think it'd take me too much if you were like, hey, uh, draft this format and I'll give you like, I'll give you a bump or something. I don't, know. I don't know how that works.
1: You're supposed to be able to like kill Phyrexians just by looking at them. If right. If you're on Halo. <laughs> um,
0: so like, I would definitely draft the format again if, if that were the case.
1: Yeah, I might take a, a few Halo drinks. via be a, a Halo Sour, um, Halo on the rocks, uh, Halo on the beach. What's <laughs> um, a Halo on acid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would take a bit more to get me to draft this format again. And that transitions into our last thoughts on the format. What a disappointment, you know? Like, th- this is a-, a wedge set, which we love. There's some amazing stuff in the set, the idea of ascendancies and the triomes and uh even the art deco aesthetics. On paper, it looks great, but in execution, sometimes the cards just don't line up against each other the way they're supposed to.
0: Yeah, it's kind of sad to see kind of a failed wedge, finally. I mean, yeah. the first, like, like you go back to Kanzatark here, was still one of the all-time best formats we've had. Ikoria was... Awesome, uh, incredible as I'm told. It's it's kind of sad that we got know we finally got a wedge that like just didn't work.
1: Yeah, this is the first set in a while that people have been low on. I mean, th- this and um,
0: <sighs> Kamigawa had its moments.
1: Yeah, I mean, so we've we've had a bit of a rough patch, I guess. Still, overall, like on average, pretty good. We weren't very high on adventures in the Forgotten Realms.
0: We weren't very high but on. But you have to remember, adventures strides. adventures was taking the place of a core set, so like you kind of have to give it. You have to evaluate it compared to other core sets, and compared to like M twenty one. Thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I guess. I guess.
1: Um, I don't know, but I think this is like you said, a side effect of the digital age, where uh, if we had only gotten to do like maybe five drafts of this format, we'd probably still be loving it. And sure, we might have this inkling in the back of our heads like, man, the last three drafts, like brokers players won the thing. Like their cards seem great. I'm going to try forcing brokers or something. Or I'm going to try to wind up in blue white. We might have gotten to it. You know, we're backed up with data now. And now we we know we see trophy lists posted online and we can look at the win rates of cards and, and things like that. And we see that just inspiring overseer was just nuts. It warped the format. And honestly, a few others crept up by it too. Corpse Appraiser had a, a win rate on par with some of the, the rares and mythics too. And that one doesn't see much discussion because everyone's always focused on the Overseer. If you deleted Overseer from the set, all this would have been focused on Corpse Appraiser. And I think that uh, that that is a good data point because that tells us the only way really to fight through the band menace in other colors was to get raw card advantage and not really worry about the synergy stuff. I guess just take, you know, single impactful cards.
0: I will Um, say this, this whole, like it's something of a trend we're starting to see, especially with, as you mentioned, the, the kind of ability to play kind of play magic ad nauseum. I've started to do this little bit of a thought experiment, and maybe this is something we should do a whole episode on, hmm. but I wonder what it would look like if instead of doing four sets a year, as they've been doing, And we've been getting a lot more than that with supplemental product as well. But I wonder how it would be if we got, say, six sets a year, but they were much smaller sets. Hmm. And so instead of doing like 300 card sets four times a year, we'd get like 150 card sets six or seven Hmm. times a year. So the draft formats would be much shorter between... And we'd have less cards to ingest in between, like for each of them. I think part of the problem we've been inundated when talking about how much, like, dear God, like there's so many products coming out, is because every single product that drops is a 300 card set, and we have to learn all the new cards of. But if they were in smaller chunks, I wonder if that. Now, obviously, that changes like pack distribution and stuff, so that would have to change the way we draft. I would think, but I don't know. I kind of think I'd like that. Now that almost all of my drafting is done online.
1: I almost wish we got only three major sets. I feel like, like, think about Kamigawa, like, how much thought and effort was put into meticulous world building and, like, making sure things were, like, crafted. Like, it felt like it had a lot of care put into it, and then in a month it was gone. Yeah, but the (laughs) problem
0: with that is, like, the formats that you're playing with that set need to be stellar, and we're clearly not getting the playtesting that we used to get. Yeah. From like the playtest team. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say over the last probably two years, we've seen a decline in, in the way that like Midnight Hunt, we had a similar problem. Hmm. Kamigawa kind of had, I mean, not so much like one archetype steamrolling the others, but like, I don't recall anybody saying that there was an all timer or anything.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. It's uh it's definitely a lot at, at once. And I think we're actually about to enter a phase where we don't have any spoilers for a while. We're going to have infinity spoilers. I barely count that right right um in fact i'm excited to see those and we just got done double masters
0: uh but I, we're going to be looking for stuff to do in magic for the next two months because nobody wants to play Kepenna.
1: that's true yeah yeah uh i mean double masters will be good for that if there's enough supply for it that is we got ourselves into a draft so that'll be cool um listener definitely expect a, a, a bit about that maybe half an episode on that in the future because uh, i'm planning on opening a foil cool and then casting it in limited somehow so we'll see how that goes but um I don't know, a sneak in the set or like through the breach or something. I don't yeah, know. To work. Anyway, I, I I feel like it's been a lot at once. And I'm kind of looking forward to this lull where there's not as much happening. Other content creators will also be feeling this. Maybe we can have some come on the show, talk about the, the state of things. And we do actually have something pretty good planned for this lull.
0: Yeah, so why don't we actually just jump into that? We have... If you're new to the show, you may not know this. We do put it in the show notes every week, but we have a Draft Chaff Cube. And the Draft Chaff Cube was designed originally with the idea of let's take all of our favorite cards that have been considered Draft Chaff at some point and build an entire cube out of those cards uh, and kind of put our stamp on it. It started out as a 360 cube, it's so 360 cards, and we've gone through two iterations of it until now.
1: That's right, Draft Chaff Cube Volume 3 is preparing to drop an, oh boy, this is a big one. We have expanded into 540 cards. There is too much draft chaff to fit into 360. And um, just doing some research, we found that uh, expanding the 540 aids with replayability, it, it guarantees that you don't see every card every time. This just means it's going to be a, a, a more enjoyable format, I think. And, and one of
0: the biggest complaints we got, we did we did get some like outsourced playtesting on this, mm-hmm. uh, on like the first or second version of the cube. And one of the biggest complaints we got was that the lanes were too narrow, yeah. such that like once you started drafting a deck, it auto-drafted itself. You didn't have to like really think about your choices. Not anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. Uh in fact, now there might be too many things to do. Um so we wanted to you know how like Mark Rosewater gives those little uh little like teasers before a set and like says some of those things. We wanted to give you something like that. Maybe we'll do like an actual version of that once it's done cuz we're still putting finishing touches on. But um yeah, you know, we have a, a lull coming in Magic, and we wanted to give you all something to be excited about, too, because this will be, like, draftable online. We could, like, set up a draft of this. There might be some opportunities for listeners to get their hands on a copy of this cube at some point. I know exactly We have already given it.
0: away a copy of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I thought it'd be fun to just mention a few things that are included in this version that uh, you can't find anywhere else. First of all, my pride and joy, uh, green-white.
0: Before you get into that, I yeah. do want to specify... In case anybody was thinking about tuning out right now, because we mentioned the draft chaff cube, and a lot, you know, we're coming off a of vintage cube. Like that's true, yeah. This is a high power. <laughs> <world. It's laughs> this not, is nuts. There is a lot of crazy stuff you can do in it. It's just cards that it could be considered draft chaff at some point. So.
1: Yeah, mostly cards that are under twenty five cents. Um, with that, let me introduce you to green white splinter twin. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I think there's like four or five infinite combos in green white. Um, And most of them are two-card. We're talking stuff like Midnight Guard, Presence of Gond, Lurking Roper, um, Soul Sister Life Gain Effects, Cleric Class, like the Heliod-Scurry Oak combo. Heliod's not in this. Cleric Class is. But, I mean, even right there, like, what is that? that, that, And there's, like, a Famished Paladin combo, too. I think I I just, like, named, like, five or six ways you can go infinite. That's infinite life, infinite tokens. Uh, And then this also has uh, infinite counters. This is a tokens counters deck, but it has twin win conditions.
0: All right, on to Red Black Madness. (laughs) Red Black Madness is kind of our way to uh, do some graveyard slash discard shenanigans. And uh, essentially this one's using Anya to kind of madness out a bunch of vampires, make some blood tokens, draw your cards, kind of filter through the deck.
1: Yeah, Uh, good things that go along with that. Discard outlets and discard payoffs uh now you're gonna be discarding some interesting things there are cards that want to be in the graveyard things with embalm disturb flashback uh there are cards with madness itself tons of, of payoffs for discarding there's like archfiend of ifnir dying to serve drake haven um cool stuff like that oh yeah that's a blue card don't worry uh, th- there's like multi-wedge support in this um basically if something could be a black red deck it can also be a Blue black deck and a red blue deck and like a there's a lot of cross color applicability red green is in rage so smack your own stuff for fun and profit (laughs) like there's a there's a few infinite combos here too but things with like a rip raptor and then uh, a pinger so like you know draw an extra card every turn or start pinging your opponent
0: Next up is blue, red, big free casting. Basically, the name of the game here is cast your eight-drop spells on turn four, just as Garfield intended.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, there's a few ways to do that. There's there's stuff like um, Flame Painter of Freet, uh, which can let you cast them from the graveyard. Uh, So, you know, there's some ways to get things in the graveyard, like we mentioned with Madness. But also from your hand, Omni Spell Adept and uh, a few conspiracy cards snuck their way into here that lets you free cast stuff from hand. Speaking of graveyard stuff, oh, speaking of graveyard stuff, Black Green Spiders. Yes, this is a spider spawning cube. Yes, you can loop it. We thought of everything. Basically, if it's been a fun draft chaff thing, uh, it's in the cube. So just a few more shout outs. Blue-white Flicker uh, with with things like um, uh, Cloudblazer and Soulherder. Blue-black Reanimator. You're getting back huge stuff. Tromocratis, Scourge of Fleets. White-black is Aristocrats. Indulging Patrician, Cruel Celebrant. Uh, Zulaport Cutthroat. Mass Sack. There's a card in here called Hellion interruption that lets you sack your board and make a million four fours, and it's red. So you can play red-black Aristocrats, too, and then all the four fours 4s enter the battlefield will trigger a bunch of the ping effects in the red-green deck. Oh, man.
0: Green Blue is Flash, so we're looking at playing things like Frilled Mystic and using River Hoopoos to draw cards, gain life, cast everything at instant speed. There may or may not be a Prophet of fix in the game.
1: <laughs> All right, we're debating whether or not that is truly chaff. I say it is. I think I'm starting to convince Zach.
0: Look, you don't have to do a ton to convince me <laughs> that Prophet of fix is something that I want to be playing, because I, I definitely do. Uh, but it's banned in like every constructed format it could have been legal in, so... But that makes it more chaff, because it's only playable mm. and limited. Uh, so next up... <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: next up, we've got Red White Heroic, Anax and Siamede, 10th District Legionnaire, uh, a Crow and Crusader, Young Pyro fits more into this deck than anything else. Actually, uh, our buddy um, Illuminator Virtuoso made his way in here. Uh, you can go off, like, make a 5-5 Trampling Double Strike Lifelink. Uh, there, there might be an Angel Fire Ignition in, in this set. Um, i couldn't resist there's a big graveyard theme and there's a big enters the battlefield
0: yeah so these are just the 10 main archetypes that we've covered here there's a lot of overlap and a lot of room to find some interesting let's just say we went really deep on this so (laughs) there's there's a lot to do in this cube it's not quite finished as Mm -hmm. we mentioned but we're just putting the finishing touches we're going to do a full write-up on it in the the draft cobra or yeah uh, cube Cube cobra Cobra, profile for it so Again, the link to the cube has always been and will continue to be in the episode description. You can continue to kind of keep up to date on the latest version and the changes that we're making. This particular set of changes is going to show up probably as one massive change rather than like incremental changes. But hopefully from here on out, and we've been saying this for the last like version and a half, that we want to do incremental changes more regularly. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the rate that we're getting new cards, it's kind of been hard to keep up with. So maybe we can try to commit to doing like quarterly changes or something like once. Uh we did once per we were trying to do once per set changes before, but maybe we can do like once every By other set or something. or something. Yeah. Um but this is really exciting. This is getting to the point where this feels like a real cube that could actually be played and not um, you know, be auto drafted or anything like that. Like there's a lot of um shenanigans going on and a lot of interesting different uh kind of paths to take. So we're excited to get our hands on it and we're excited to see what you all think.
1: <laughs> to be honest, what kind of inspired me to work on this a bunch was I played the chromatic cube a few times, and I thought to myself, "We could do better than this." And I dare say we did. <laughs> this is definitely more fun than New Capana.
0: Speaking of, fair warning: no alchemy cards. <laughs> <In> this cube. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway um we're very excited to see what everyone thinks of it and honestly it's been a ton of fun just to work on
0: well that about does it for us this week thank you so much for listening we really hope that you're looking forward to the cube as much as we are so keep an eye on the cube cobra for the final updates on that if you're not already in the discord of course check that out we'll definitely be posting updates and such in there as well and if you'd like to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash that does it for us and we'll see you next week
1: so we actually got a pretty interesting comment in the Discord from Koga a while back. And thanks for for thanking us for going for two years. We're going to keep going, I think. I mean, we can't stop now. The cube is in progress. <laughs> like, if that's not a reason to keep going. I don't know what it is. And I guess the support of, of our listeners is, is also great. Um, but, but you can check out in, in general feedback, uh, Koga was commenting on some of our superhero questions uh, and mentioned the following quote. I've had a novel idea kicking around for a while uh, about someone who gets the... The heal people with a touch superpower and that's to deal with the massive ethical implications of it who do you help who do you not help is it okay to take breaks how do you balance it how, can people like reverse engineer your, your skills how do you deal with public pressure and governments and i said that sounds like a pretty cool sign-off topic so what do you think
0: yeah uh there's a lot to that um so just to kind of level set because that was a lot of information we're talking about the power such that you can touch somebody and it heals them of any ailment sure yeah okay uh, and then because you have this amazing ability to heal basically anything, what are the ethical sort of dilemmas that you yeah. run into with that? Yeah. The one that stuck out to me that Koga mentioned was like, can you take breaks? I would have to say yes. Like you don't expect all of your current healthcare providers and workers to like be, war- I mean, some hospitals do, but you don't expect your nurses and doctors and things to be working 24 seven.
1: Yeah. and but I don't Is think there guilt associated with that? If, if you're the one, if there are people dying, like, right at this moment, that you, I think, you just touched them. I like, think you
0: need to default to recognizing that re- even with this power, you cannot save everybody.
1: But 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 can't you? Like No, you can't. You can't like, be everywhere at once, even if,
0: even if everybody, you had the entire population of the planet lined up in front of you, and all you had to do was hold your hand out, they would come by, swipe by your hand, and yeah, keep moving. Yeah. People would die in the line before they got to you.
1: That's true, yeah. So... But then I don't how think would you
0: prioritize? That's that's a, a better, I think, a better question than like, should yeah. you take breaks or whatever? Because I, I don't think it's fair to say that you, because you would end up dying. Yeah. And then the power goes well, away you just touch yourself. <laughs> well, okay. So no, but that's a good question. Or Is age an ailment? I mean, dying of old age
1: isn't really a thing. It's mostly like degeneration. Right. Um, but is or, that an ailment? I would say yes. I, like I think you could touch someone with Alzheimer's, for example, or, or dementia. Okay. And I think you, you could say that would count. Um, so then first of all, the person with this power, I think we could assume would live
0: forever. Okay. So that, well, that was my next question was like, yeah. if, if that let's, person let's go on on that, dying,
1: that they could just like slap themselves on the knee and then they're back to like bit shape. Um, I, I, huh. I, I think breaks are, yeah, that's a thing. Now, if I had this power, would I want to take breaks? I don't know. <laughs> I think I would. <laughs> like,
0: I think I, uh, because I think even, even with this power, you'd still like, I think you'd still need sleep.
1: Hmm. Yeah. But what if right? you just touch yourself and then? But does
0: that does that prevent you from the
1: feeling the tired? side effects
0: of t- yeah being tired? Because that's not a degeneration thing.
1: No, but if you could call that an ailment, like sleep
0: deprivation. Yeah, I, I mean, we're getting into like the semantics of what this power can do. Because if the yeah. power if the power prevents you from needing to sleep, yeah then okay i think from an ethical perspective like purely just ethics the correct answer would be to not take breaks and sacrifice like basically be okay sacrificing your yeah, life exactly to save the planet again you hmm. kind of i mentioned this on when we answered this originally but yeah you kind of get into like now you have to deal with population problems and, do and who solve do the you population save population problem like who do you who do you start with first? Yeah, cuz then you could also get into conversations about like well what if you accidentally save somebody like Hitler <laughs> or you know not accidentally but like you saving yeah, that person yeah. caused some terrible atrocity in the
1: Where future. Where do you start? How, do you go to like a like a country with like undeveloped medicine but then end up, I don't know, being like the savior complex problem or do you that start too. in America but then I think I think
0: realistically, what would probably happen is you'd discover you have this power somehow. I don't know how you would exact. Maybe you scraped yourself and realized oh crap, that just healed. And then somebody else scraped themselves, and you went over to help them, and they're like, oh crap, that just healed. Yeah, you'd you'd figure this out at some point. So you'd naturally start wherever it is that you live. If the person who had this power grew up in India, probably start in India. Yeah, they grew up in like an island and off the coast of Madagascar or something like some like tiny little islet. Yeah, they'd probably start there. But um, eventually without a doubt some government would find you they would lock you into a box oh, yeah. and force you to do whatever it is that they want you to be your power to be used for or figure out a way to replicate it such that their military never gets injured or something
1: that's i think what also koga mentioned is that the moment the the powers that be the people at the levers or um, i don't know call them whatever you want the moment that the the world governments kind of figure out that you have this kind of power you become the most important person on earth instantly uh, easily
0: yeah without doubt and then doubt.
1: the question is like do they just kidnap you straight up, or do they try to work with you in like a friendly manner?
0: Probably depends who's in power at the time. <laughs> and and then I mean, then you'll yeah. like you would literally start wars just by yeah. existing. You would start wars.
1: At least you could heal everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you can't be everywhere at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I guess that's worth mentioning too. Like, if it happened, re- if it worked retroactively, like you could go within some reasonable amount of time. I guess like. After somebody dies you could res them
1: yeah like Jeez.
0: who do you res and how long because I, oh, I think you run into a serious that would have to be population a, issue
1: that has to be a whole different thing
0: even with the healing i think you run into a serious population issue
1: well you could just throw them up into space and then touch them on their way up and then they won't die you
0: know no but i mean like the earth can't support the number of people we have now let alone like keeping everybody who's dying that's what
1: i mean we just space. we just go start colonizing space oh, while sure. touching everyone so then their, their heads don't explode <laughs>
0: Yeah. Great question. I don't know that we're even close to scratching the surface on this.
1: Uh, I look forward to reading uh, Koga, whatever it is you read about this. Let us know when it's done.